Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Misery Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, November 12th, we're studying 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. An undivided focus on the Word of God will keep Timothy and other pastors from needless quarrels and irreverent babble. That focus will drive them to the faithful preaching of God's Word that leads to repentance and a knowledge of the saving truth in Christ. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Zelwyn Heidi. Pastor Heidi serves at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Hanover, North Dakota, and Zion Lutheran Church in New Salem, North Dakota. He's also one of the hosts of the podcast, A Word Fitly Spoken. Pastor Heidi, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Glad as always to be back with you. As we get started this morning, let's talk a little bit of context. We're kind of right in the middle of the epistle. What do we need to know going in to our text today that's going to help us? Well, I think the thing that's really going to help us the most here is understanding that Paul is writing these things to Timothy because Timothy is in a bit of a difficult situation. And we're going to be talking about what that situation is, especially in the first part of this section. But in the midst of controversy, in the midst of a difficult time in his ministry, Paul wants to encourage Timothy and to help him to focus on those things which are right, those things which are profitable, so that he does the right thing when dealing with all of when dealing with his opponents, right? Yeah, there's there are these opponents, and we're going to find out more about them today. We've heard a, a little bit in chapter one of some of those who had forsaken Paul, forsaken the teaching. It seems, but we're going to get a little more. A couple, of, actually, one name that we've heard before in terms of the opponents and some of that false doctrine that Timothy's facing. And so Paul, again, is urging him to hold on to the truth, which is the big theme of this epistle. Paul really has this laser-like focus on that. Some of those things that came up in 1 Timothy about congregational life together fade into the background a bit here. And it's a lot more stay to the true doctrine, Timothy. Stick with it. And that's that's where we've got today. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, Paul writes, Remind them of these things, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. 
So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That is our text for today, 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 through 26. Pastor Heidi, the text starts, remind them of these things. Who's them and what are these things? Well, I think these things that it's being referred to would be everything that Paul had just got done talking about, especially in verses 8 through 13. But in a very more general sense, of course, he means these things which have been handed over to you. And uh, the the them here, I really do think, is probably the, the pastors who are also associated with Timothy, because um, Paul is very much interested in the question of, you know, how does your words affect those who hear you? So I, he really does have this idea of those who are in a teaching position within the church, uh, the pastors along with Timothy, um, and he, those whom he has appointed in, in that place as well. So, you know, we need to be reminded, you know, to focus on those things which are actually true and not to be caught up in those things which are false, right? Mm. Sure. Yeah, the, the these things, I mean, as you said, what's come before in this epistle, you, you've got that trustworthy saying, which is one of the features of the pastoral epistles that we saw in yesterday's text. Certainly that's part of the these things. And I think you're right that the remind them, the them there is, is primarily going to be the other pastors who Timothy is to appoint. And that was the beginning of chapter two, verse two. Paul Paul reminds Timothy, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so the remind them, I, I think, is primarily going to be those other pastors in this case. None of that is to say, of course, that the the lay people don't need to be reminded of these things. Of course, Timothy right. and the other pastors need to remind the whole congregation, all the saints that they serve, of these things. But in the context, yeah, it does it does seem that the them is the other pastors Timothy's going to be appointing, and that these things is everything Paul's said previously, and and more generally, all the true doctrine that's being passed down. Now, charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. So let, let's start talking about, well, what are these words that my Timothy, these other pastors might quarrel over? That's going to ruin the hearers. What kind of quarrels does Paul have in mind here? Well, I think it's important to remember that Paul has in view these false teachers, which are disrupting Timothy's ministry and uh, also speaking against Paul. Uh, the the words, the the quarreling with words or quarreling about words in this case uh, would be like fighting among each other, especially fighting in a way which is not profitable. You know, this is not saying that we can never talk about these things or that we never contend for the faith or anything like that. But this is maybe the best and kind of stereotypical example we might use would be like the way that we typically think of politicians quarreling with each other, you know, that they're just talking and it's just noise and it doesn't do anybody any good. And it's like, well, why don't you just get something done? I think this would be the, the same kind of quarreling. It's this useless, unprofitable fighting for the sake of fighting that is so 
I mean, it's it's entertaining to engage in because it appeals to our flesh, but it actually doesn't do anything for us, right? Mm-hmm. Now, fighting for the sake of fighting, I think, is a, a helpful way of, of thinking about this. Because we don't want to fall off into the error of saying, well, then words don't matter, or right. or we shouldn't contend for the faith. And we have to keep this in context of not only this epistle, but both epistles written to Timothy, and of course, the whole of Scripture. And just the previous epistle that Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul tells Timothy to fight, fight the good fight of faith. And by the end of this epistle, Paul will, looking back on his own ministry, say, I have fought the good fight of faith. So there is a place for the pastor to fight, for the pastor to contend for the faith, to stand up for the truth, to make the good confession in the face of lies. The pastor has to do that. In fact, it's part of the job description. But he shouldn't do it in a quarrelsome way. Think back to that list of qualifications for overseers in 1 Timothy 3. Shouldn't be quarrelsome. Shouldn't be someone who's just itching for a fight. That's not a part of the attitude of the pastor. So, and Pastor Heidi, let's let's wrestle with this a little bit. How do you how do you know when you're doing the right kind of fighting and when you've slipped into this quarrelsome quarrelsomeness? Yeah, that's that's an excellent question. Um, because you know, we, we might tend to view all fights as being kind of fighting for the faith, you know, I'm doing the right thing, and how do I know I'm standing up for the truth? I I think especially when when fighting devolves into you know very personal attacks when it devolves into you know I'm just I'm I'm fighting against you cuz I don't like you <laughs> you know you're you're not on my side when it becomes a very tribal kind of affair when it, an us versus them mentality and they never say anything right because they're over there and they're not one of us kind of a thing so there's nothing I mean it it really does come down to this kind of bitter you know, fleshly kind of way of fighting about things rather than saying, you know, what is the truth here? And let's contend for that truth. You know, when, when our, when our passions get worked up into it, I think a lot, we are running into the danger of, you know, falling into this kind of quarrelsomeness, this kind of squabbling, right? So the way in which the quarrel, the fight happens is, is certainly a part of it. And I think Mm -hmm. there's always a temptation among pastors and probably among all Christians to engage in these sorts of fights, not for the sake of (coughs) knowing the truth and believing in Christ as Lord, but simply for the sake of being right, of showing the other guy, look, you're wrong. I'm right. I won. And, And when that's the attitude that we have going into that kind of thing, then we're going to approach it in the wrong attitude. We're not coming at it with a spirit of humility, a spirit of repentance, a spirit of what does God's word say? And together, let's believe that. Let's put ourselves under that. When it's all about me and and my being right, then I'm really putting myself above the text and making myself more important than the text. And it's going to end up with these quarrels about words or with words that's just ruining the hearers. I mean, well, so what what does that what does that look like the ruining of the the hearers that happens because of these fights? Well, uh, on the one hand, it could be scandalizing to those who hear. You know, you know, you might actually cause someone to stumble by this kind of fleshly squabbling. 
On the other hand, it might lead someone into thinking the way that you do and thereby, you know, cause make shipwreck of their faith. And I think this is what kind of what's happening with the the opponents uh, with like in the previous book in first Timothy, you have Hymenaeus and Alexander. Well, we're told in other places that Alexander was a coppersmith, which means he was probably a layman. And so by this kind of quarreling and squabbling, uh, Alexander was actually led astray. And therefore, it ruined the, it ruined his faith in the process. So this, this squabbling um, can either cause someone to stumble, or you can bring someone into an error that you are actually you know bringing forth. Right. So what about and that that all has to do with the way in which mm-hmm. the fight is engaged. Mm-hmm. So we we're saying when we engage, when we contend for the faith, we want to mm-hmm. do so in a spirit of humility and place mm-hmm. ourselves under the word of God and not just make it be about fighting for the sake of fighting or fighting for the sake of me winning. What about the topics that are engaged? And and here I'm thinking particularly as Paul continues, he's also going to talk about irreverent babble. That's the way that it's translated in verse 16. Verse 23, he talks about foolish ignorant controversies is is there a not just the way in which this fight is engaged in but also the topic of the fight are there are there some topics about which christians might disagree where we can say to each other you know that's really not that big a deal and then other topics where we have to say look it's either this and this is true or not i mean is is the topic also a part of this pastor heidi well sure I mean, especially because you're, you're dealing with the question of, well, open questions, you know, we can agree to disagree on some of these things. And things like that do exist where we can, you know, disagree on like how we might approach a problem, for example, or what it means to be a Christian in this situation. But there are things, and this is kind of where Paul is getting at too, where there really is no room for, you know, uh, debate. You, if, and I think especially with Hymenaeus and Philetus here, especially with the error which they are setting forth, which we'll get to here in a little bit, uh, they are actually causing people to stumble, and therefore the whole topic is irreverent babble. It's, it's not according to the word. It's not according to the truth of God. It's just made up within their own minds, maybe from misinterpretations. But the point is, is that it actually is causing faith to die. And I think that's what makes it so dangerous, right? So the 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 irreverent babble, I know we're maybe getting ahead of ourselves slightly, but the irreverent babble, the foolish, ignorant controversies has to do with sort of this, these thoughts of some false teacher's mind that they just want to talk about and talk about and talk about. That's all they can talk about. Right. And Paul's saying, look, that's baloney. That's just foolishness. It's ignorant. It's a controversy that's been drawn up for controversy's sake. Don't get drawn into it, Timothy. Teach the truth, but don't just go in this back and forth that's not going to get you anywhere, because they've already made up their minds, it seems, to teach this falsehood, and you've got the word of truth on your side. So stick to that. Don't get in. Don't engage in this foolish controversy, because they're just fighting for fighting's sake. Is that kind of what Paul's saying there? I think so. And, you know, especially because this, this controversy was causing such disruption, it, by, it, you're knowing them by their fruits. I mean, that's the language of Jesus, of course, that you will know the truth of someone's heart or the truth of someone's teaching by its results. And the, the results of this teaching 
I mean, obviously are, are leading astray are causing people to stumble. So therefore we know, you know, just by that very fact that what is, is being taught here is not of God, because mm-hmm. if it was of God, then this wouldn't be happening. And, and the topic, as, as we will see, it has to do with the resurrection of the dead, which is right. no small matter when it comes to the Christian faith. Paul spent a whole chapter in the epistle of 1 Corinthians talking about why the resurrection of Jesus is so important to the Christian faith. So it, it's not like this controversy that's being dealt with here is some small matter, or it's, it is just a matter of, you know, what is, what is this one word in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes mean? It, it's not something something small, but this is a, a key piece of Christian doctrine that we're talking about, a, a piece of Christian doctrine. If you pull it out, the whole thing comes tumbling down. And so to for Timothy to engage in this sort of foolish controversy is only going to ruin his hearers. And, and so Paul... Paul then warns Timothy on, on both counts, don't, don't get engaged in this, you know, just irreverent babble. Don't fight for fighting's sake. Keep focused on the truth, on the word of God, which as, as he will say, you know, that's, you're looking for repentance. That's, I mean, that's, that's eventually where he gets to toward the end of this text. The goal in all of this is to speak the word of truth so that those who hear it would repent and believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's what it always comes back to. Right. Well, and I think especially since we're kind of in 16 and 17 already anyway, um, you'll notice that with the irreverent babble, the result of it is more and more ungodliness, literally like growing into ungodliness, and that this talk is going to spread like gangrene. In other words, it's like a disease. So to be a good physician in this case, to be a good um, minister to one who handles the word of truth, uh, we need to, you know, assess the situation rightly. We need to actually uh, come at it and to give the 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 right diagnosis, and then in so doing, we won't uh, cause the disease to spread further. So, I mean, it it is it's this imagery also of um, a, a body and the the health of the body, which is what we need to watch out for. That the idea of health has been a a key component in first and second Timothy, both Paul's used that word sound doctrine, which you could also translate healthy doctrine. And so that, that image has been there throughout that the true word of God is healthy. It's life giving and false doctrine is the opposite. And and here the word gangrene, it's pretty vivid imagery that Paul throws in there for us. And, and yeah, the, the pastor must be one who is, is looking to diagnose these diseases, these illnesses of false doctrine, and do his best to, to bring healing, to bring that healthy doctrine, not, not spread it, not cause it to grow. I mean, and gangrene is a, a fantastic image for that kind of thing. Right. Don't, don't participate in this, Timothy. Don't be a party to, and, and, you know, in a zeal for the truth, I think, I mean, every, I think this, maybe I'm speaking more for myself now, or, but I think every good pastor has that zeal for the truth and wants to see the truth grow and, and false doctrine be put to an end. But in that zeal for that truth, Timothy, pastor, take care that you don't actually participate in its spread through this irreverent babble, this quarreling over words. Work to, and, and maybe this to get us back to some of the verses that we've skipped, work to rightly 
Wow, we'll work our way backwards. We're, we'll come back to presenting yourself as one a, a, approved, <laughs> but rightly handle the word of truth. I think that's the the opposite of quarreling over words and participating in irreverent babble would be rightly handling the word of truth. So what does that look like, Pastor Heidi? Well, sometimes rightly handling is described as rightly dividing. I'm pretty sure that's the uh, the King James way of putting it. It's this imagery of, of being along... Uh, a straight path or also maybe dividing it into its proper proportions. Um, basically to, to treat the word of God in the way that it should be treated, to, to treat it with reverence, treat it with respect, and also to treat it in a way which is profitable so that when you are presenting it, when you are bringing it out to others and teaching it, uh, you're doing so in a way that builds up. Whereas this, this um, irreverent babble and everything that we've been talking about is not rightly handling it. It's kind of jumbling it all together and confusing things, which only leads to this kind of ungodliness, right? With that language, rightly handling the word of truth or rightly dividing the word of truth, I think many Lutherans are going to hear the distinction between law and gospel. Is that is that what Paul has in mind here? Is it broader than that? What do you think? Um, I think it's related. You know, when we're, we're talking about the law and gospel, and I know that this language of rightly dividing is often used in connection with law and gospel. Um, you know, do we want we want to present God's law in its clarity. We also want to present the gospel in its clarity and to not mix the two together. But I, I think I think it's also just this general call to to treat the word as the word. You know, to treat it as something that is not yours, to treat it as something to which which has been entrusted to you as a, a good steward kind of a thing, and to present it in a way according to God's will and not according to your own, right? And that goes back to what we were saying earlier concerning the, the fighting for fighting's sake, when it becomes simply about me being right, proving myself over against the other person, simply quarreling because I can and because it you know it, it it builds up my sinful flesh that would be making use of the word of truth for my own for my own sinful benefit right rather than making use of the word of truth for the sake of of myself or my own faith and for the sake especially of of those who would hear as as Paul said in in 1 Timothy you know do this watch over the the true doctrine so that that you'll save yourself and your hearers so that, that that true doctrine will come forth, because only that will save. And when when we're being distracted by other things, and we're you know we're making use of the word of truth for our own purposes, then then that wonderful benefit won't happen either for us as pastors or for those who we are given to care for. And and that's what what Timothy wa- or Paul wants Timothy to avoid here. What about what about in the the first part of that verse, verse twenty? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. That's that's what comes before rightly handling the word of truth. What's the what's the image? What's Paul saying there? The the present uh, presenting yourself to God as one approved is the imagery of something that has been tested and has been proven by the test. Uh, it, this imagery is often used with like gold or silver. Like you can prove the quality of some of gold 
by like, you know, you're scratching it to make sure that it's pure kind of a thing, or, you know, kind of breaking it down, or sometimes you even see people biting coins to make sure that they're, you know, real. I know it's an old way of, of doing things. But the, the point is, is that by this test, you have been shown to be trustworthy. You, you have shown that you have no reason to be ashamed of the things that you are saying. So there is I mean, there is testing involved in this. It's not just saying that I've been, you know, certified and so I'm good to go kind of a thing. But it's just that by by the things that you are teaching and also by the by the results of the things that you are teaching, it shows that you are rightly handling this word of truth. Right. Because we have to keep in mind, there's always that question of what is coming as a result of the things that I am doing. Go go into that more. The what is coming as a result of the things that I'm doing? How does how does that how does that play in? Because I mean, sometimes I think pastors don't get the results they were looking for, even when they're being faithful. Right. Maybe I, I don't know if I was following you right, but but <laughs> dig into that a little bit more for me. Well, and I don't and I don't want this to turn into like number counting or like you know we'll we'll prove our results by you know how many people are in church or something like that. That's not what this is about. The, what this is about is. Is what is coming of this teaching godly or is it ungodly? You know, proving by the fruits of the teaching. Are, am I, by the, the things that I am presenting, by the way in which I am handling the word of God, am I building up the hearers to godliness and more godliness so that they are being built up for everlasting life? Or am I leading them into more and more ungodliness as these false teachers have been doing? So it's not a, it's not a numbers game. No, but it is it is an honest look at okay what what is the fruit that's being produced and and to to do so again as a pastor with humility with honesty such that we don't you know we don't end up approving ourselves but we let God be the one that right. does the approving of us based on this word of truth that He's given us to speak and and that's the kind of faithfulness that every pastor ought to desire. It's the faithfulness that. Timothy desires. It's the faithfulness that St. Paul desires for Timothy, and that he's writing to Timothy here in 2 Timothy. We're going to go ahead and take our break. Pastor Heidi, you're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We will be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, November 12th. We're studying 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. We've got Pastor Zelwyn Heidi with us. He serves at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Hanover, North Dakota, and Zion Lutheran Church in New Salem, North Dakota. He's also one of the hosts of the podcast, A Word Fitly Spoken. Pastor Heidi, prior to the break, we, we looked at verses 14 through 16 and, and started to talk a little bit in that about two men who are mentioned here, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who in this text, Paul says they've swerved from the truth. Now, we've met Hymenaeus before in 1 Timothy. 
he was one who'd made shipwreck of his faith along with Alexander. You referenced that on the first half of the program. Here, Hymenaeus is connected with a man named Philetus. Do we know anything more about these? And, and particularly here, what is this false teaching that they're peddling? The resurrection has already happened. No, we don't know any more about these men. Um, Philetus is actually only mentioned here. Philetus is very likely a teacher along with Hymenaeus, just because of the way he's presented here. I mean, we can't be dogmatic about that. But the, the point is, is that these men, especially Hymenaeus and, and Philetus with him, have been teaching something about the resurrection, which is in fact not true. And that is that it had already happened. Now, this is all. This is something that Paul does not explain a whole lot further. He doesn't really clarify what he's talking about. I mean, probably because he has no interest in doing so. I mean, it's unprofitable. This is not something we really need to know. I mean, it might be just more for our, our, our curiosity than anything. But the point is, is that these men were saying that the resurrection which Paul has been talking about, and which he sets out so clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, had in fact already happened. Now, does that mean that it had happened physically and that there was and that there's not going to be an, another resurrection? Does it mean that it was going it was just a spiritual resurrection and that there wasn't going to be a physical resurrection? It doesn't really matter what how they were presenting it, but the point is is that because they were teaching it in this wrong way, they were denying that there would be the final resurrection, the resurrection on the last day. And that's what was causing the faith of some to be so upset, right? So with that, and, and recognizing that Paul doesn't identify the particular false teaching, he doesn't lay it out for us in outline form like we might like. And I think that's that's really true throughout a lot of the New Testament, where you don't get a full picture of the opponent's teaching as as at least it would have been laid out at the time. Right. And and just through our conversation it's I'm thinking to myself, you know, I always would like to know more in in my own thinking, but now you know I I see the great wisdom in the apostles not giving that kind of space to that sort of false teaching or engaging they're they're setting the example of not engaging in the irreverent babble just in the way that they they just stick to telling you what is true, right. even with that in the background. It's, I mean, it's just a very marvelous thing to see. So having having said that, that we can't know exactly what this this false teaching of the resurrection already happened, the exact ins and outs. You, know, you don't got you don't have a dogmatics textbook of this teaching. But what what is the truth concerning the resurrection? Just briefly. What What is the truth concerning the resurrection? Has it already happened? What is that brief truth that we do confess, just for the sake of, of clarity for everyone who's listening? When we talk about the resurrection, and again, this is something I would point to 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the, the clearest passages on this um, this idea. The resurrection, of course, is going to be the bodily resurrection of all on the last day. It's not just a spiritual thing. We're not just going to heaven and staying there the way that I think it's sometimes presented. Our great hope is that God will undo everything that death has taken away, which means also that we will have a glorified physical body in heaven. It is our hope that we are looking for. It is, it is part of the, the new heavens and the new earth that this body, which is now corrupted by sin, will no longer be corrupted, but instead will be glorified as the Lord is glorified. And because 
uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus and Alexander with them uh, were basically denying this by whatever teaching they were saying, it took away all of the hope which we have as Christians. Because if we have no resurrection to look forward to, I mean, what what is our hope? I mean, yeah, I mean, being with in heaven is is good. I mean, to be with God, but then it's like death has still won in some way. You know that death has taken away this body which God created, and we we almost are saying like God is powerless to do anything about it. No, He is powerful. He will take He will take care of that too on the last day. The the teaching of the resurrection of the dead is is a great comfort to Christians. I mean, it's it's certainly there in First Corinthians fifteen. That chapter concludes with you know, therefore be firm in these things. Stand stand steadfast. You get First Thessalonians four comes to mind as well, and and Paul encourages them with these words. He even says that you know, therefore you encourage each other with these words about the resurrection of the dead. The the Thessalonians, and I don't want to get too far afield in this, but it does seem in First and Second Thessalonians that perhaps there's some folks there in Thessalonica who are who are dealing with something similar in terms of thinking that the resurrection has already happened, or or that even in, in Second Thessalonians chapter two. Paul Paul tells them, you know, don't be alarmed by some letter or somebody seeming to be from us that the day of the Lord has already come. So, so I mean, again, exactly what this teaching was is is hard to pinpoint. But but in teaching falsely concerning the last day and the resurrection of the dead, these false teachers were robbing Christians of the hope and the comfort that God desired to give them in that final day, in that resurrection, that great hope, the goal of our Christian faith is that we would join Christ in resurrection on the last day, united in body and soul are, are perfect. I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And and they were being robbed of that. And so again, that's what's been happening here. I mean, Paul, Paul has, you know, he doesn't mince words. They're upsetting the faith of some. They're swerved from the truth. And, and so that's the false teaching that's out there, Timothy. You though, you know this, verse 19, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. And and at least as the ESV translates it, you get two quotes. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Where are these two quotes coming from, Pastor Heidi, and what's the significance? Uh, the, the first one, I think, is a very important one here. Uh, the first one comes from Numbers chapter 16, and we'll talk about that in, in a little bit more detail here. The second one, I think, is kind of harder to pin down um, because it's it's something that is, I don't know, I don't know if we have any real exact quotation from anywhere in the, the Old Testament, probably from Isaiah, um, maybe like chapter 26 or so. But again, it's, it's kind of more of a general quote. But the first one, I think, is, is an interesting one because the, the reference to number 16, of course, is the rebellion of Korah, right? Well, okay, so you said, I mean, you said, no, number 16, of course. I don't know if that's an of course for everyone, Pastor Heidi. <laughs> Let, let's talk, give us some background. What's happening in number 16? Who's Korah? Why did he rebel? What happened? Give us, give us the Old Testament 101 here. In number 16, what's going on here is that Korah is rebelling against Moses. The, the children of Israel are in the wilderness, and Korah gets up and says, Who died and made you boss, Moses? Who are you to exalt yourself over the children of Israel? Aren't we all, you know, part of God's congregation? Aren't we all priests in this sense? You've gone, you've, you know, you've gone too far. 
And so in number 16, what happens is, is that there's a test put to between Moses and Korah and everyone who else is attached to him so that they can determine who is actually of the Lord and who isn't. Okay. So the, the, the way that this, and then the way that this connects then, uh, before I finish the, the Old Testament part is that, um, Hymenaeus and Alexander are then being compared to their rebellion uh, to Korah and his rebellion because if Timothy and Paul are on the side of Moses because they are on the side of God then the, those who are rebelling against them and speaking falsely about the resurrection are acting like Korah in this sense now Korah in the Old Testament of course is uh, swallowed up by the earth by because of the judgment of God. You know, this is, and so Korah is said to go down to Sheol alive. Um, and that's also referenced throughout the Old Testament. So God takes this very seriously. This is not something that he just kind of overlooks. Now, I don't think Hymenaeus and Alexander and Philetus are swallowed up by the earth, but, <laughs> and as much as we might want false teachers to be swallowed up by the earth, that's just not how God is doing things these days. But the, that's very true, and 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 well said. Although I, I do think there there is a, a there's comfort there for the faithful pastor, not because the false teacher will be swallowed up right now or something like that, but that I mean, as as Paul quotes it, the Lord knows those who are His. He He knows you, Timothy, teaching faithfully. And so when these false teachers do arise, rebuke them firmly, speak the truth, don't get into their irreverent babble, and trust that the Lord knows who are his, and, and that will be made plain on the last day, which, I mean, again, the context of the resurrection that's that's being disputed here by these, these two false teachers, who is true, who has spoken truly and preached God's word faithfully, that will be made plain on the last day. And so there is there is comfort for for Timothy and faithful pastors in this. There is also great warning for false teachers in this as well. Lest lest what happened to Korah happen to any false teacher now. And again, I mean we're not we're not seeing that happen, of course, but but the last day is coming. Judgment judgment is real and and faithfulness to God's word should be of utmost importance to everyone who would speak it and teach it at this moment. And so there's there's a great warning to false teachers here as well. Well, and especially because uh, the false teacher on the last day will be thrown together with Satan and his angels into the lake of mm -hmm. fire. So I mean this there is there is a great warning against false teaching, you know, there but there like you say there is also a comfort that we will find vindication on the last day that even if even if we have been teaching faithfully and it doesn't seem like it's been doing much and you know we've just been struggling with it and it seems like the false teachers are the ones who are getting all the attention well that doesn't matter the lord knows who are his and he's going to take care of his own so you watch out for you you do the right thing and let god worry about the rest of it as paul continues in verse 20 he brings up another image he talks about house there's some gold and silver vessels. There's also wooden clay. Some are honorable. Some are dishonorable. What's the image Paul puts in our minds or in Timothy's mind, and how does he use it? What does he commend to Timothy from this image? Well, the the image here is that, if you, especially if you imagine an ancient household, we, we, we have this to some degree, but maybe we have a lot of different containers. But he's saying you have all of these different vessels of gold and for some of the uh, vessels of different materials. Some of them you use for very important things. 
Uh, we might think of like our fine china, for example, which we only bring out on you know, very special occasions. But other things are for dishonorable use. We might think of like the trash can, right? It just holds refuse. Now, the image is that if we cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable, and I, that language is important, we can talk about it here in just a little bit, a little bit more in a second. But if you cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable, you will be set apart as holy and useful and honorable, ready for every good work. So in other words, the image that Paul is setting up here is that the false teachers, by their false teaching, have made themselves dishonorable and therefore something that is just really only you know, holding garbage and really has no, I suppose you could say, place in the house, ultimately, you know, it's eventually going to be thrown out. Whereas those which are of honorable use are held up and set apart as useful to the master of the house, right? Well, keep keep talking about that language, the dishonorable, honorable. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I mean, and as, as you were talking, uh, my mind went back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where t- Paul talks about we've got this treasure in jars of clay. So the, the, the honorable nature of the vessel is not so much, I mean, is it gold, silver, wood, clay, but it's, it's what's inside of it, it seems. I mean, if I can, if I'm, I don't know, am I right to connect those two texts? What do you think? Well, no, I, and, this is, and this is an important thing, too. I, we, we do want to see that connection. We're not making ourselves honorable as if we made ourselves purely honorable, and therefore God is somehow just reacting to what we are doing. No, God makes us honorable, of course. But... What we're what we're saying here is that whereas Paul is there is talking about, you know, it is my my um, I am dishonorable because I am so broken. You know, who is who is worthy of these things? You might also think of this imagery in Romans where he says, you know, God has made some for honorable and, and some for dishonorable use. But we don't want to mix these too closely together because they really have different purposes here. Right here, what Paul is talking about is doing what is honorable, which is why he gets into verse 22, you know, fleeing youthful passions, pursuing righteousness, doing these things that God wants you to do, things that we can be on guard against. And he's using this imagery of honorable and dishonorable to show that the one who pursues righteousness and flees youthful passions in this sense is, is in fact, the, the, the vessel for honorable use. So yeah, we can cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable. You know, we can actually make ourselves honorable in this context because we are fleeing away from that which is dishonorable. You know, we are we are running away from things that are going to corrupt us, which is something that God has called us to do. So I mean, there's some connection, but a different context here. Right. That okay, yeah. So, so we we don't want to mix them too much, lest we we miss the point that Paul is saying. Right. Watch out for these things that are dishonorable. Don't don't run toward them. Don't run toward the dishonorable. Run towards something else here. And I think I mean what what Paul starts to do. Then we were talking about the results or the fruit of the teaching on the first side of the break. What, what you start to see here, I think, in verse 22 is some of those, those results, some of the fruit of, of true teaching or false teaching. In verse 22, Paul says, flee youthful passions. So there's what you're to run away from. And then instead, what do you run to? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. What, what, is the, what are the youthful passions that Paul warns Timothy to flee from? 
I think the, the best way of putting the useful, youthful passions here is to talk about those things which, especially young men, are prone towards. This idea of delusions of grandeur, this idea of I'm going to set the world on fire, that, you know, that I am something more than what I have been made to be. Um, and I think when we run that way, when we run after the youthful passions, we end up not going after the things of righteousness, faith, love, and peace. We end up falling into this kind of quarreling, this kind of, of controversy for the sake of controversy, because we're, we're headstrong, we're youthful. You know, the, the young man hasn't gained wisdom in the way that the the older, more experienced man has. I mean, that doesn't mean that old men are are always going to be free from these passions. In fact, you know, sometimes an old man might very well still be caught up in the passions of his youth and be do, in pursuing that which is you know un, unprofitable. But by fleeing these youthful passions and going after righteousness, faith, love, and peace, and to do these things without quarreling and to do them in a kind and patient way, is in fact uh, this maturity that comes with uh, being a man of God, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the youthful passions would connect to, as he says in verse 23, the foolish, ignorant controversies that breed quarrels. And, and what we were saying on the first half of the show, those, those are things that in youthful passion, a, a young pastor might rush into. And, and again, you know, we talk about the zeal for the truth, mean well, but sure. end up spreading the disease in his in that youthful passion and paul warns against that youthful passion and instead toward those those mature fruits of the faith righteousness faith love peace and and to do this along with those who call on the lord from a pure heart this isn't just timothy all by himself but it is timothy along with these other men that are being appointed there where he is serving and and all christians who would flee those youthful passions and instead pursue what God has given. I think that's a that's a pretty important thing to notice. It's not just Timothy doing this by himself, but he's doing it in the context of other pastors who share this office of the ministry and the whole Christian church. Well, and yeah, and I mean, that that is something, of course, that we often connect with youth, this kind of, you know, this independence, the wanting to do things all by yourself, taking it all up for yourself kind of a thing, so that I can have all of the glory. But we are not supposed to flee after that kind of passion, but to pursue that which is, you know, building up the whole body, the things that, as, as I mean, as I said before, contribute to a spiritual wisdom and not a youthful um, ignorance. Hmm. Now, in, in verse 24, as Paul draws this text for today to a close, he, he says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, and, and he lists a couple more things, it, it rings familiar somewhat to the qualifications for overseers that were given in 1 Timothy chapter 3, particularly that able to teach is, is one of those qualifications that stands out, but even not being quarrelsome, being kind to everyone, these things all, all fit, it meshes together with what was listed in, in chapter 3 of the first epistle. What, what does this mean? What does it mean to be the Lord's servant? What does Paul commend to Timothy as he lives as the Lord's servant? Well, to be the Lord's servant here, to be the one who is pursuing righteousness, to be the one who is, you know, rightly handling the word of truth, the worker who has no need to be ashamed, the one who is, you know, holding fast to the truth. If we are holding fast to the truth, if we are teaching rightly, 
then we will see the fruits of this also in the way in which we live. You know, we are not quarrelsome. We are gentle. We are able to teach. We are kind. We are patiently enduring evil. So in other words, in all of these things, the uh, the proof is in the pudding. You know, if if we are following after the Lord and we are also wanting others to follow after the Lord, then how we live as pastors is going to make a tremendous difference. You know, because if we say one thing and do another, people are going to see that and we might actually upset the faith of some by doing so, right? Paul then concludes this text with, with something I don't want us to miss. He, he does say, correcting his opponents with gentleness, and then he gives the reason. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. He, he wants to bring these, these false teachers even, that they would come to their senses, escape from the snare of the devil. This is a really really profound thing. I think sometimes it's, it's very easy just to write the false teachers off. They don't know what they're talking about. Let's just forget about them. They're, you know, and, and I mean, Paul's even said, you know, don't engage in these, these irreverent controversies, this babble, don't engage in it. I think this is the corrective to that, that, that no, I'm, as a pastor, I'm going to speak to those who are false teachers for the sake of bringing them to repentance. And when that's the aim I, I think that starts to take away that quarrelsome spirit that might arise, those youthful passions that might take over and, and lead toward, again, that focus on the word of truth that alone can bring to repentance and faith rather than just fighting for fighting's sake. Yeah, no, I, I think that's an excellent point, too. And, you know, we, we as pastors might ask ourselves, you know, when I'm dealing with a controversy or when I'm dealing with false teaching, do I approach the question in prayer? Do I actually pray for those who are opposed to me, that God would grant them in re- repentance and lead them to a knowledge of the truth? Or do I simply see them as some other you know, opponent who I just have to fight against with all that I have because they are, they are on that side and I'm on this side and you know, I don't want anything to do with them? That's not who God has called us to be. We are called to build up the body. We are called to build up one another and also by our words and our actions together to lead to a knowledge of the truth. God, of course, is the one who is going to maybe give them the repentance because we're not going to force anybody into the truth. But the point is, is that when we approach these things with the spirit of God and the way that our father would have us do these things, then he will He will be the one who will take care of the situation. How do you know? And, the, and we were running about three minutes here, Pastor Heidi. So, but but before we sort of wrap things up, there are times where the false teacher is simply to be avoided. Paul, Paul will say that elsewhere in the pastoral epistles. You know, just right. just avoid them. After a certain point, don't don't deal with them anymore. How how do you know as a pastor? How do you know when that time comes? Well, I think if if someone has proven themselves time and time again to be caught in this error and they're not budging from it, there comes a point when. Uh, just, you know, actually engaging them face to face is not really going to do anything. You know, they've confirmed themselves in their error. You kind of just have to say, okay, I leave you to to whatever God is going to do with you. You know, this is kind of a saying, it's in God's hands now. It's not in mine. I, I do think that we are still called in a case like that, that we would pray for our enemies, as we often do in the prayers of the church. You know, pray that they would come to a knowledge of the truth 
Or like on Good Friday, when sometimes you pray, you know, that error, the people who are caught in error would be led out of their error and come back to being a part of the church again. It's, you know, we should continue to pray for them, but that may not mean that we should actually engage them face to face. Sometimes we just have to leave things to God. Yeah, well said. As we wrap up this morning with about a minute here, Pastor Heidi, help us to summarize, use this text to point us to Christ. Well, in everything, the the minister of God, the, the pastor who is called to proclaim Christ is also called to show Christ in the way that he lives, to to be the one who is, you know, showing, I mean, basically to be the one who is showing Christ in everything that he says and does. So when we proclaim him rightly, when we proclaim and handle that, rightly handle the word of truth, we are showing the truth of Christ in everything that we do. Now, Christ is going to bless that for us. He's going to take care of us because God's firm foundation still stands and the Lord knows those who are his. But we are called to flee from that which is unprofitable and to go after that which is true and right and good, because that is what the Lord has set us to do. Pastor Zelwyn Heidi serves at St. Peter Lutheran Church in Hanover, North Dakota, and Zion Lutheran Church in New Salem, North Dakota. He's also the host of a podcast, the Wor- A Word Fitly Spoken, helping us this morning with 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Pastor Heidi, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. It is the word of the Lord, rightly handled, that gives repentance and faith. This is the pastor's calling to focus on that word of truth, that those who hear him would not be put to shame, that they would not swerve from the truth under false teaching, but instead would hear the word of God, believe it, and be given saving faith in Christ. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.